Welcome back to thisoprods.com movies television podcast. As always, I'm dead. Nor do they have caveman. Do we? Do we really? I don't know. You're kind of you being checked in or out kind of kind of varies week to week. I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> uh, COVID nineteen has not been nice to my sanity. <laughs> yeah, it's not been nice to anyone's. Uh, oh, but anyway, yes, we are still in the middle of the nightmare. And yeah, so we decided we decided to finally do one of the one of the podcasts that we do regularly. Or are supposed to do regularly. Sorry, Magic the Gathering's been more fun. It it really has, honestly. <laughs> Until yesterday. Which I still find hilarious because like the beginning of us talking about magic was you saying, Oh, I have this awesome mill deck. Yes, but you run one mill deck once. You don't just, like, mill deck to mill deck, because then nobody wants to play anymore. It wasn't a mill deck to mill deck. It was a big mana deck to a mill deck. A big mana deck that led with a mill that made me want to quit the game. But that we're, was we're just luck about, of... We're talking about games, and we should be talking about movies. That was just luck of the draw, heart of the cards. Wing Karibo was sitting there, he'd like, yo, we'll break this man's whole spirit. She certainly fucking did. I'm not going to be playing Magic for a while. <laughs> Wow, that is, I would say impressive, but honestly, it's kind of sad. Anyway, speaking of sad, let's talk about wrestling. So yeah, it's been a month and I had said before that I tried to, that I will try to, you know, reduce my wrestling talk to maybe once a month. (laughs) So fuck all of you. Let's talk about wrestling. <laughs> Specifically, WrestleMania. Because WrestleMania 36 happened er, a month ago. And it was. It was weird. Like, not just weird because there was no one there. Okay. Because, yeah, so. So WWE and AEW, uh, the two big kind of like televised wrestling promotions, they have both been doing empty arena shows. AEW has been really fun about it. AEW like, is really good. Like I've like I've watched some of AEW. I've active. I like I went to their I went to their YouTube channel. I'm even fucking subscribed on my main account, which I don't fucking do with anything because YouTube is bullshit. When it comes to recommendations? Absolutely. They're fucking terrible. Because like, I'm like, I want to primarily watch gaming videos. It helps me de-stress. And given my life recently, I need a lot of de-stress. So, like, and, like, I have a secondary YouTube account on my PS4 that I'll watch other videos on. Like, hamster videos. And, like... No, dude, it's so it's so soothing just watching a little hamster, like, exploring the terrarium that I just watched getting built. It's so cute. Um, I don't, I don't, I don't doubt it, but like whenever I subscribe to anything else on my, on my YouTube, on my YouTube subscription thing, my, my suggested box, which is why I actually watch most of my videos is I get suggestions for new channels to watch and I watch them. 
is immediately inundated. Oh, you watched one music video because your wife stole your phone. All music videos. <laughs> That's what YouTube is for. We're a music streaming service. Fucking bullshit. I don't have a problem with this music video thing because I spend I tend to spend a lot of time listening to the music mixes. I fucking hate the music mixes. Yeah, but you hate Not music. because they're bad, but because I get them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You know, there's fucking music mixes. I hate them because of all these different reasons, but also I hate music. <laughs> I like a lot of music. Like, see, here's the thing. I I actually love music. I hate it when other people try and make me listen to music. You could literally be playing my favorite song, and I will look at you with death and tell you to turn it down. Because I don't want to hear it unless I want to hear it. Don't make me listen to your shit. Does that make sense? Eh, kinda. I'm just I'm just now picturing in my head a situation of like you like, like you sitting down, it's like, ah, long day something, just want to rewind, just want to unwind, listen to, my favorite, listen to my favorite song, read a book or something. Go go to reach for the stereo to turn the knob, and then all of a sudden like someone comes along and is like, oh, I'm gonna get that for you, buddy. You turn it on, you're like, you motherfucker! And they just destroy <laughs> the stereo. That has never happened because because they, because they turned on the song you wanted to listen to a fraction of a second before you wanted to turn it on. <laughs> oh, that, thankfully that's never happened. Um, <laughs> no, I've not I've not had that bad a day yet. But I have <laughs> smashed one of my brother's speakers because he wouldn't turn his music down. <laughs> <laughs> oh wow! Best part is it was actually one of my favorite songs. He had borrowed my Green Day CD and turned it on, and I was like, turn it down. He said, nah, mom's not home. And, like, it escalated I w- until I was yelling at the top of my lungs and eventually bust into his room, took his speaker, unplugged it. I didn't yank any of the cords out. I unplugged it and smashed it. Um, I do have to put a caveat in there that this was a homemade speaker box that I made for him. So I was breaking shit that I built. But still, I smashed his speaker because I was pissed. So one that is a pr- that is kind of a massive overreaction. It went on least. for two hours. We had, we went on for two hours arguing about whether or not he should turn down his music. And two, he should turn down music. Like I don't, I do not get the kind of people who are like, ah, yes, I need to listen to this music open in the air with every other sound happening at once. Like, hey, a little bit of inside baseball for you guys. Uh, I spend. Of the so up so in the, in a twenty four hour period, I will spend up to and over sixteen hours of that with headphones on. Same, because I kind of love the feeling of headphones. I love the sound of headphones. I love I love to just get how to get my music and anything else just kind of piped directly into my fucking brain with everything else rejected. Headphones headphones actually irritate my ears, but I still wear them for most of the day. Ear earbuds irritate my ears. Headphones go over, like the headphones they compress my my ears too much and earbuds dig into my ear canals too much. So I I can't I can't really be happy with either. But I will still wear them for most of the day. I have giant studio monitors so I got like fucking massive cups. Mm, lucky. I don't have that much money. <laughs> These were like 60 bucks. Okay, I might have to look into that. Though I would have to say that my crusaders don't really crush my ears. Not my crusaders, my corsairs. 
Ah. They, they've got good sized cups. Yeah. Wrestling, com- r- 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 wrestling commentary headphones, though. They're the on ear ones, so they fucking suck ass. <laughs> Bring it back to it. So, when are we going to start our own wrestling podcast? As in, we wrestle on the podcast? I mean, well, we have to wait for COVID to be over. Then you have to move to Canada. Nah, nah, nah. You're moving down here. Bitch, I'm on disability. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You're moving down here. <laughs> <laughs> I am paying $139 a month for rent here. I'm not, I ain't fucking moving nowhere. Oh, <laughs> uh. but anyway, yeah. So WrestleMania 36, um, it was, it was weird. So yeah. So wrestling, wrestling promotions have been doing the empty arena shows where instead of like going from city to city with just empty arenas, what they're instead doing is staying at essentially their home bases and then, and then fix and then like mixing or not mixing, um, turning those into <laughs> arenas. Um, with uh, with WWE, they do it. At the, they do it at the Performance Center in Orlando, Florida, which is kind of where which is where they used to do NXT, which is where they do NXT, and it is yeah. They, they just kind of like put just a massive ring in the fucking center of this thing. They used to like have uh, rows upon rows of empty folding chairs, just to like make shit. I don't know more surreal. But then they eventually they got rid of those. Um, the wrestlers started like playing more to camera as opposed to playing to the audiences in there. They, they, act, they actually changed the position of the hard camera because so the hard camera is like the main camera by which they shoot everything in the ring. Mm-hmm. And typically it is on a like 90 degree perpendicular angle to the ramp. I should say something actually before we continue. Yeah. My experience with wrestling ended with like the mid 90s. Yeah, but so the like so the production like, things I'm talking about would be known to you. Yes, they are known to me, but I want I want to explain to the audience. Um my era of the wrestling ended with the Iron Sheik. <laughs> that is kind of where my experience level ended. And I was like expect I came into the AEW dark ex- even after what Dead was saying. I expected that he was reading into characters too much and that it was basically one dimensional stories, no storylines, just like, I will kill you because I am racist. I will kill you because I am evil. And like, everybody just beats everybody up. And then I came into this and I just was like, I feel like I walked into the middle of a movie. (laughs) Yeah, Cave... Cave stopped watching wrestling around the Attitude Era. The greatest era of professional wrestling. When I, when I explained to him, hey, characters evolved. And we started talking about like, hey, maybe we relate to D&D stuff. He then sent me about five pitches for characters that would be way too much in the Attitude Era. The Attitude Era is when I grew up. So did Though I. I still, I still think the Two-Face character could work in the current era. We'll, we'll, we'll talk. <laughs> <laughs> but I see, so, yeah, so, so they changed up a bunch of stuff for, uh, for wrestling. Uh, and then... That carried true to WrestleMania, because with WrestleMania this year, they changed up actually quite a bit about it. For one thing, it would be in the Performance Center again. Um, they would be the, uh, bits would be pre-taped because up until now, WrestleMania has been live, and so they so they do a lot. Of, so they do like pre-taped bits and then and then like like you know air them live to tape. And they also did it where it was over two nights instead of one night. Because up until recently, up until like last year, 
WrestleMania was one eight-hour show over one night. Because, you know, you don't need a Sunday, right? Yeah. But then with this this year, they broke it up into two nights, so it was two three-hour shows instead. So it was much more reasonable, much more digestible, and it essentially led to having two main events, which was actually kind of neat. Uh, so I'm not going to be talking about WrestleMania as a whole, because as a whole, it was fine. They did some interesting stuff, finished off some storylines. Um, there are three things I want to talk about in depth. The first one being Edge versus Randy Orton. So, okay, do you know who Edge or Randy Orton are? I know who Randy Orton is. Okay. For those who don't, as well as K for Edge. So Edge was a wrestler. Uh, he, he'd, been, he'd been around the company for fucking years and years and years. He was part of a tag team called ENC, Edge and Christian. Uh, they they kind of helped make tables, ladders, and chairs a thing. Uh, and he was and he was known as the Rated R Superstar because of a because of a partially in storyline, partially for real thing that happened where he stole Matt Hardy's girlfriend. And then in the ring, had sex with her in the ring. Okay. You know, I say had sex. What what I meant was they went underneath the covers in a bed and in the ring and then moved around. And they were like, yes, they are having sex. Pay no mind to the fact that they both went in wearing jeans. And yeah, Edge was a much beloved character, much beloved wrestler. Um, Edge was actually, I actually saw Edge live once at a, at a house show. And it was awesome because I was there just fucking screaming, boo, Edge, you suck. Like he was a fucking amazing heel. And he actually had a tag team with Randy called Rated RKO. Because Randy Orton's finishing moves with the RKO. Yeah, I, I, I know. It stands for his initials. Randall yeah, I know, I know. I know. Randall Keith from Candle Keith. Anyway, I I, I know, <laughs> but yeah. So um, in so yeah, like uh, in 2011, uh, Edge won like the World Heavyweight Title at WrestleMania, and then the next night on Raw announces retirement. <laughs> That's kind of dickish. He had to retire because if he wrestled again, he might die. Okay, that's less dickish. Yeah, he he'd essentially like taken so many bad bumps to the neck that like his doctor had said, yeah. So if you take one more bad bump, you you won't live. So he had to you know retire the night after winning a championship. But then nine years later, at this year's Royal Rumble, he came back, and he looked fucking great. He got back into the ring, started doing all the old ring shit that he loved to do. Like people fucking. If you want to see some of the most genuine human emotion you will ever see in your goddamn life, go find a compilation video on YouTube of people reacting to Edge coming back to the Royal Rumble. Like, I have found that one of the most, like, heartwarming things to see is just people reacting to shit happening in wrestling. I've been watching that and just getting, like, like feeling, you know, like, joy and hope for people. Which is a weird feeling for me. 
be like edge fucking returning the goddamn building exploded I was like, all right, who'd be number 21? And then he's like, you think you know me? And then I'm like, ah! It was incredible. But yeah, then the next night on Raw, Edge was like, yeah, I'm fucking back, bitches. Essentially, medical technology had advanced to such a degree that doctors were able to do a neck operation on him that meant he could come back to do wrestling part-time. That's awesome. Yeah, and so he, and so he came back, and then that night, Randy came out and he was like, yo, fucking Edge, yo, this is, this is great, man. Welcome back. It's going to be so fucking cool. So, hey, how about a little Team RKO reunion, huh? Let's fucking take, let's take these fuckers to town. And Edge is like, hell yeah, this is going to be fucking awesome, dude. Then Randy hits him with an RKO. Oh. Then pulls out steel teal, then pulls out two steel chairs. One oh, of, no. Uses one of them, continues to beat the fuck out of Edge with it. Then he sets him up for a single-person concerto. So, for those who don't know, the Edge and Christian kind of finishing thing was the concerto, where Edge and Christian would each have a steel chair, and then they'd stand opposite sides and swing, connecting the chairs over top of the dude's head. So essentially sandwiching a head in between two chairs. Single person concerto gets someone on the mat, put their put a chair underneath their head, and then bring down the other chair on top. And so Randy did that to Edge, and then Randy left. Didn't explain what, he, what, was, what, what was the motivation was, what anything was. The next week, Beth Phoenix comes out. Beth Phoenix is Edge's wife, as well as former wrestler. Uh, she also came back in the Royal Rumble, but the women's Royal Rumble. She busted her head open on a fucking ring post and then was in for, I think, most of the Rumble. Yeah, she came out and demanded answers from Ed, demanded answers from Randy. And Randy came out and was like, hey, I love you. I love your daughters. I love Edge like a brother. Edge shouldn't be doing this. So Randy was trying to take Edge out of the ring. Yes, Randy is trying to end Edge's career so that Edge doesn't die pursuing his career. Okay, I like that. Yeah, and so then Edge was understandably pissed. And then this led to, and then like, and then this led to this fucking massive goddamn thing where they, they had like attack, where they kept attacking each other. People kept getting involved. Edge was just like this fucking lunatic out to fucking destroy Randy for what he did to him. Randy was doing his like kind of like cold calculated psychopathic of like, hey, I am doing this for your, I'm doing this for your own good, despite despite the fact that he's doing something horrible, which then led to a no, which then led to a last man standing match. And so for those who don't know, last man standing match is a match where. There are no pin counts. There are no submissions. There are no no disqualifications. You just have to incapacitate your opponent so that they cannot stand up by referee's 10 count. Okay. So they went around the entire, so they went around the entire performance center. Um, Randy disguised himself as a cameraman in order to get, in order to get the jump on edge and give him an RKO before the match starts. Oh, that's, oh, that's cruel. Yeah. And hey, here's the fun thing. That camera was still live. So we occasionally got footage from it. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah, and so then they went around the fucking performance center. Uh, they went to, like, the gym area. They started fucking throwing weights at each other. Um, the, that little, like, fucking sled that you put a bunch of weights on. Randy fucking rammed, tried to ram that into Edge and it just shattering a mirror with it. And they started going, like, through the production area. They started going through all the different offices and stuff. Um, There's, like, there like, this one, like, giant conference table with, like, a chain link fence hung above it. And, and like, they used every bit of this fucking office building, like, Edge... 
Edge set up Randy on that table, grabbed onto the chain link fence, lifted himself up for an elbow drop. Eventually getting, eventually, eventually get back to like this fucking warehouse area where there's this massive semi back there full of just, you know, shit. They get on top of it, start fighting. Um, Edge manages to get Randy down and then it has this fucking like moment of like just insane, insane guilty conscience of like, oh God, like, oh God, I'm really going to fucking do this to a person I consider a friend. And then hits him with the fucking concerto on top of the thing. It sounds like a fucking gunshot ring out. And then, oh God. And yeah, then he's just standing there holding back tears as the ref does a 10 count. If you get a chance to check out Randy Orton versus Edge at WrestleMania 36, fucking watch it. And then we had the two cinematic matches. I can't take anymore. So the cinematic matches weren't t- weren't traditional wrestling matches. One of them took place in a graveyard. The other one took place inside the mind of the man who plays John Cena on television. So the first match of the graveyard was it was AJ Styles versus The Undertaker. Uh, the whole thing with the whole thing with like this feud. Oh uh, yeah, the whole thing with this feud is that um, is that like AJ was essentially calling out the Undertaker. It was like, hey man, your wife's fucking sending you out here to fucking do this over and over again. Your bones are made out of fucking like matchsticks and spit. You need to retire, old man. And the Undertaker, and the Undertaker is like, yeah, I know why you're doing this, AJ. It's because my wife does a Styles Clash better than you. Because Ooh. because uh, the Undertaker's wife, Michelle McCool, a former professional wrestler, her finishing move was the Faith Breaker, which is the Styles Clash. AJ Styles' mm. move that he used when he was in TNA. Essentially, Michelle McCool stole AJ Styles' move. Yeah, so the two of them were getting into this big old fucking brouhaha. Um, AJ was like, yo, I don't want, I don't want fucking Mark Calloway, the goddamn asshole put, posting fucking branded images on Instagram. I want the motherfucking Undertaker. So then he sets him up for a boneyard match, which the rules apparently are you have to bury your opponent in a grave. Okay. Cut to a big old cemetery. Uh, where a hearse pulls up, uh, they're, they're playing like the old school Undertaker music, and then a couple druids fucking come out of the come out of the hearse, open at the back, and pull out a coffin. The coffin bursts open, and there's AJ Styles. He's like, "Oh hell yeah, dude! This is awesome. I can see why you do this all the time, Taker." <laughs> and it starts calling out for him, and then Taker rolls in on a motorcycle, like American badass. But instead of Limp Biscuit, uh, he's coming into uh, "Better Off Dead" by Metallica. I believe it's a song. song. I love that song. Yeah, and so then the two of them start fucking scrapping. They get into a for real match. Um, there's a there's a grave there. There's a grave like six foot deep grave um, with a tombstone covered in fucking ivy and moss and stuff, as well as a small little bulldozer thing with a shovel full of dirt. And so they start just fucking going at it, beating the shit out of each other. Undertaker begins to get Undertaker like. Like it starts out with AJ grabbing a brick and trying to smack the Undertaker in the face with it. Taker dodges and just punches him. He eventually picks up like this a uh, piece of metal that he found on the ground and tried to fucking hit AJ's head in the head with it, but it ended up shattering the window of the hearse, 
which the shattered glass then cuts up uh, cuts up Taker's arm. It's like, oh, AJ, maybe bleed my own blood, essentially. Like the entire beginning of this fucking thing is just AJ is just like Taker toying with AJ. And AJ like trying to get some offense in and he does get some offense in every once in a while, but he never manages to like get it in for real. Um, eventually after a certain amount of, after a certain amount of uh, damage is done, um, Luke Gallows and Carl Anderson, uh, two wrestlers who are on a tag team together. They're former tag team champions and they are part and they are part of a stable with, um, AJ called the club called, sorry, the OC, the original club. Because all three of them were part of the Bullet Club, a faction in New Japan. So then Gals and Anderson, they summon more druids. Undertaker beats the fuck out of all of them. But then everyone starts getting... Okay, wait, where, what movie are we in now? Uh, we are in... We're still in, we're still in, the, we're still in Undertaker vs. AJ. I've been paying attention and then suddenly I hear druids. Yeah, I mentioned the druids dro- drove the hearse that dropped off AJ Styles. Oh, yeah! <laughs> Man, wrestling is... Wrestling's awesome. We haven't even gotten to the best part yet. So yeah, with, with the Druids and Gallows and Anderson, AJ actually manages to finally like, get the Undertaker down, and he is like, he looks hurt. Like he has like a bunch of, he has got like a couple couple cuts in the face, but the way he's breathing, he's go, he's just kind of going like, <gasps> like old man struggling for breath. So then AJ picks the Undertaker and throws him into the grave. Because, you know, that's what you do with a fucking undead wizard. Put him in the grave. That o- that always ends well. So AJ gets in the cat. AJ gets in the fucking bulldozer. Goes to dump the dirt in. And suddenly a giant floodlight comes on behind him. And there's the Undertaker. Totally fine. Apparently having recharged his grave juice after being thrown into the open grave. So yeah, he gets, starts beating the fucking age. He starts like beating the fucking age again. AJ runs, manages to climb up onto this, uh, like, manages to climb up onto like the roof of this weird barn structure that the druids came out of. And as he's running, Taker's like, where are you going, AJ? Throws up his hands and a wall of fire explodes in front of AJ, cutting off his escape. Taker climbs up onto the, onto the roof of the thing. Um, Gals and Anderson start attacking him. Um, Taker grabs Gals and just throws him off the roof into nothing. Just into this fucking black void that's on the other side of the barn. Uh, in a very reminiscent way to the, to the way that he threw uh, Mick Foley off the cell in Hell in a Cell. Uh, grabs Anderson, gives him the fucking tombstone, just leaves him up there, which will get, which will be important later. Grabs AJ and chokeslams him off the, off the roof of the fucking barn into a bunch of wood pallets on the ground beneath him. Throws him down there. AJ is fucked. Taker climbs down. He's like, all right, come on, AJ, let's go. Brings him over to the grave, and AJ the entire time is going, no, don't bury me, Taker, please. <laughs> and then Taker fucking just kicks AJ into the grave, buries him, rips off the, rips off the ivy to show the tombstone says AJ Styles, birth date to 2000, birth date to 2020. And then he, and then he, and he gets his motorcycle and drives off, but not, but not before, causing the roof of the barn to explode, <laughs> where, if you might recall, Carl Anderson is unconscious. Yeah. So Undertaker killed three people and drove off, and that was his match at WrestleMania. Yeah, that's badass. <laughs> and then from there, we move on to the Firefly Funhouse match. I've told you about Bray Wyatt, right? Yes, you have. Okay. So, after being, 
after being jobbed out to motherfucking Goldberg of all fucking people. Bray Wyatt comes back with one of the most creative matches I've ever seen in wrestling. Which is, which is really, 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 really cool. So yeah, after, after Saudi Arabia happened again, uh, the fiend had nothing really to do for WrestleMania. So on an episode of SmackDown, John Cena came out and was like, Hey, I was like, Hey, so you're probably all wondering what's John Cena's match going to be at WrestleMania this year. Well, I don't think I'm having one. WrestleMania is all about, you know, the future, about the future of the company. And I'm not the future anymore. So I think I'm going to be sitting this one out. As he begins to make his way back up the ramp, uh, he's like waving to the crowd. All of a sudden, the lights fucking flicker out and there's the fiend. Who is Bray Wyatt's evil inner persona. So he holds his hand up to the WrestleMania sign and then John kind of looks over at the sign, looks back at him nods which then leads to just kind of weeks back and forth of promos with John Cena um, saying that he is going to that he is going to once and for all t- take out the WWE's most overrated overhyped over whatever star and that leads into WrestleMania where John Cena is coming down to the ring and he, it's like oh this is weird no one's here oh well hey camera guy let's fucking go gets his hand up to go, go ready to be doing his like fucking big thing to get to the ring at which point the video cuts out and starts being interspliced with footage of the Firefly Funhouse puppets as well as a bunch of different people um, like a bunch of different like archival footage from past Wrestlemanias there's kind of like cutting back and forth in between like the there's like the, pup, the Firefly Funhouse puppets are like like over like um exposed on top of them it's like a double exposure thing looks really fucking neat and then we're back into the and then we're into the firefly funhouse set proper where bray is talking about like hey we're going into the fucking deepest recesses of your mind all this shit abandon all hope ye who exit here and then goes out through the firefly funhouse door which has never really been opened before dun, dun, dun. the camera kind of the camera kind of like dollies in like zooms in focuses on that sign and then pulls out and john cena's in the firefly funhouse at which point, Ramblin' Rabbit, uh, the only puppet who kind of goes against Bray in any real way, is like, "Yo, dude, fucking John Cena, I love you, man. Hey, can't see me. Yo, Bray went through that door, dude. So John Cena goes. Yeah, so John Cena goes out through that door, and then he's in this fucking black void. And then the puppet of Vince McMahon that Bray Wyatt uses, because Vince McMahon, because Vince McMahon is a character in the Firefly Funhouse, <laughs> comes up and is like, I was like. Son, do you have enough ruthless aggression to make it in this business? Do you have enough ruthless aggression? And just keeps saying ruthless aggression over and over again. <clears throat> and we cut over to Bray Wyatt, who is in the ring cutting a promo, but it's a promo that Kurt Angle had previously cut. Where he's essentially like having open challenge to anybody out in the fucking locker room who can come out here and deal with Kurt Angle, but instead of Kurt Angle is Bray Wyatt. And it's occasionally like intercut with like footage from that original promo that uh, Kurt Angle cut because the, the, the cut, the promo that Kurt Angle was cutting that led into John Cena's debut in the ring. And as he's in that promo, John Cena comes out, but he's dressed in like his fucking debut gear, which was just a guy with fucking orange tights. Wow. Gets to the ring and was like, what makes you think you could step in the ring with fucking Kurt Angle? To which John would go, ruthless aggression, and then just get his ass kicked. John Cena debuted as a heel and not a very good one. 
So he gets in the ring with Bray and does the same thing and tries to fucking hit Bray. And Bray just keeps dodging all of his stuff and just mocking him the entire time. And John cannot say anything other than ruthless aggression. Because the entirety of the Firefly Funhouse match is Bray deconstructing the meta character of John Cena and pointing out all of his failures and everything wrong with him as a person. Including at one point, a referencing the theme song of Nikki Bella, uh, one of the Bella twins, as well as John Cena's former fiance. Yeah, and it just fucking goes from there. As we also, as we also like go down the fucking memory lane of Bray Wyatt, going back to like old cult leader Bray Wyatt and referencing when Bray had, when Bray had a match against John Cena at WrestleMania like six years ago and the entire crowd was like singing to Bray Wyatt and John Cena and like the match was booked so that Bray would lose to John Cena. And just like essentially just essentially just Bray Wyatt trying to break John Cena as a person. And it was kind of amazing. Of like, like eventually, eventually, like compared to like Hulk Hogan and stuff. Um, like they did like cut over like Saturday Night's main event, which was like the old old WWF uh, show. And like Bray, like Bray brought in like his tag team partner Johnny Largemeat, because back in the eighties, all you need to do was be big. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, John, yeah, John Cena came out. He was just pumping iron the entire time, kind of like an old 80s promo, like the fucking Ultimate Warrior or like fucking Macho Man, just pumping weights the entire time. And then like the fucking, like the puppet of Vince McMahon was over on commentary just going, that's good shit. And fuck, man, it's so good. I'm not going to do, I'm not giving it any justice, just fucking explaining it. <laughs> fucking god damn you it. got me with the uh like emotional match the one that actually seemed to matter for a reason yeah yeah that's yeah like like, like they've wrestlemania was one extremely emotional match that had like fucking years and years of storyline behind it and then two of them were the most experimental shit wwe has ever done like really bringing in like fucking matt hardy influences like the fucking Bray Wyatt stuff especially felt like Final Deletion esque, and then the rest of it was just fine. There was a title match that mattered way more than it actually felt like it did because it was a match against Brock Lesnar. And just for reference, if you ever watch WWE product, in a match against Brock Lesnar, it is not a match. A match against Brock Lesnar is suplex, 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 F5, 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 finisher, 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 done. <laughs> it sounds like you played a, I played a match against someone who knew the game way better than you. No, you didn't. It, sound, it, sound like you, it sounds like you're playing against your fucking seven-year-old cousin who does nothing but spam heavy attack. Oh, okay. Because that's all it was. It, was, it wasn't like him doing fucking like cross-ups and stuff or like doing some fucking sick tech. It was like Brock Lesnar's character is Brock too strong. That's his entire character. Like Kofi Kingston. Kofi Kingston was a he's part of the new he's part of the New Day, beloved tag team, beloved person in the WWE. After fucking like after 11 years, he actually he finally got an opportunity to fucking to fucking uh, fight for the WWE championship and won it. 
It was a big moment. Kofi, Kofi mania, whole fucking shit. Then he gets to a match with Brock Lesnar and loses it in seven seconds. Eleven years of buildup, a massive push, not just from the fans, but also from the other members of the New Day. And he loses it in seven seconds, and then is supposed to act like he never held the title. Because Brock too strong. <clears throat> I kind of hate Brock Lesnar. Nothing against him as a person. I don't really know him as a person. Just... He is the antithesis of storytelling and wrestling. You say that like it's a bad thing. It is a bad thing. Wrestling is storytelling. One of my favorite things. Like no matter what, no matter what fucking bullshit anybody out there fucking says to try to condescend to you that you still watch wrestling. Wrestling is a storytelling medium. So long as you don't believe it's real. If you believe that all of wrestling is real, pay attention. <laughs> Just focus on the matches for five minutes. If you believe wrestling is real, you're seven. And also kind of fuck you, caveman. What? Just the inherent condescension anybody has whenever they have to, whenever they feel the need to tell someone that wrestling isn't real. Is so fucking no, infuriating to me. I'm not saying that you think wrestling is real. I'm saying that there are people, yeah, people out who there watch wrestling who will fight wrestling to the real. death believing wrestling is real. Even even using the word real is a bit fucking like yeah, they're predetermined, but people still are Yeah, people get hurt. I'm talking about the outcomes of the matches are quite often scripted. That's all I'm saying. What do you mean quite often? They are scripted. Not all of them. Not scripted, like, but predetermined. No, I mean, like, not even all of them are predetermined. Some of them do come out of left field. And often it's because somebody missed a mark and accidentally got for real hurt. <sighs> but, like, one of my favorite things about wrestling is that it's kind of a rebirth of ancient gladiatorial battles because a lot of ancient gladiatorial battles. It was like, all right, I'm the heel. I'm going to piss off the crowd. You're going to come into the arena shouting my name saying, you're going to take me down. We're going to exchange some blows. I'm going to knock you down. And then like, while I'm gloating to the crowd about the fact that I'm winning, you're going to trip me and smack me in the back of the head with a spear, knocking me out. And then we both get our payday and we go home. That's literally wrestling. Yeah. Like, <laughs> that, that, is, that was uh, not every gladiatorial bout. Because back then, a lot of people fucking died in the arena. But a lot of gladiators were like, all right, we're going to teach you how to fight without killing each other so that you can look good before the fans. <laughs> and that's one of the things I love so much about wrestling. Because, like, that is kind of true for a lot of fighting, just in general. Like, a lot of the, like, like... A lot of people say, oh, football's the new gladiatorial sport. No, it's not. Ah. There is no storylines. There is no narratives. There is no underdog rising up to defeat the uh, people who have been stomping on him the entire time from when he arrived there. There is, hey, that team that won last year, 
They're going to win again this year. Oh, 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 oh. yeah. Your, your team is bad because you live there. Yeah. Meanwhile, in wrestling, you have the hero of the people, Orange Cassidy. A man who is so over wrestling, he wrestles with his hands in his pockets. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. I, I, yeah, I do. I've watched one of his matches. Yeah. Orange Cassidy versus Pac. Yeah, it was great. Yeah, it was <laughs> so good. Uh, and then there's then there's Chris Jericho and the Bubbly Bunch, a.k.a. the Inner Circle, the main heel faction in AEW. Uh, AEW is really good. They just need to give their women's division like a storyline. Yeah, they do. <laughs> but anyway, speaking of story stuff um, and wrestling, actually, uh, I've been watching Dark Side of the Ring. Which has been very, very, very interesting. For those who don't know, Dark Side of the Ring is a documentary series put out by Vice. On Vice Land TV. And it is, each episode details a different mythic story or figure in the world of professional wrestling. Uh, With the first season uh, being six episodes... Covering the relationship between Miss Elizabeth and Randy Savage, the Montreal Screwjob, the murder of Bruiser Brody, the tragedy of the Von Erichs family, uh, the death of Gino Hernandez, and the horrendous shit that came out about the fabulous moolah. And I did not actually know a lot about a lot of this stuff. Like I, like I knew who a lot of these people were. I'd heard the Montreal Screwjob before. I didn't know what it was. But so actually getting a chance to like sit down and get a for real breakdown of what the Montreal screw job was. Also, the show does a great job of really making you hate Jim Cornette. Cause, cause Hey man, fuck Jim Cornette. Also fuck Vince Russo. Just for out of measure. <sighs> Jim Cornette's an old wrestling booker. He used to, he worked for a bunch of different promotions, worked for WWE. He is a wrestling purist who hates all this flippy shit that people are doing. He's also kind of a racist. Oh, so he's one of those people that didn't want Yoda to do backflips. Yeah. Even though it was cool as shit. <laughs> yeah, he also said, um, like, he also said, uh, while on commentary at NWA Power, um, this man is so, this man is so brave, he's trapped on a bucket of fried chicken and drive naked through Ethiopia. Oh, God. Yep. He also then went on to say, hey, he also went on to defend those remarks by saying, hey, that wasn't a, that wasn't a racist joke. That was an Ethiopian starvation joke, you fuckers. If you're offended, get thicker skin, assholes. He's also like said he wanted to murder Vince Russo on his podcast a lot. Like in in Dark Side of the Ring, um, for the Montreal Screwjob episode, I think actually, uh, he said he said I I am I am going out of my way to make sure I outlive Vince Russo so I can piss on his grave before I die. <laughs> I have given my wife instructions that if I am un, if I am unambulatory by the time Jim by the time fucking Vince Russo dies, she's to take me to his grave and help me piss on it. Oh fuck Jim Cornette. Like Jim Cornette fucking straight up said that like there there's a six man tag team match in Ring of Honor with the Young Bucks and Adam Page versus someone else. He he actually said that if those pe- that if he was involved with Ring of Honor when that match happened, he would have fired everyone involved. Keep in mind that the Young Bucks are considered one of the best tag teams in the world 
potentially of all time. And Adam Page is a up and coming rising superstar that everyone loves. <laughs> fuck Jim Cornette. Yeah, no, I agree with you now. Like after hearing all of this, fuck this guy. <laughs> but yeah, uh, they also, and so uh, they started up a second season uh, earlier this year and were very, I don't know if this was, I don't know if they like, they were like, they're like, Hey, now that we, now that we got the fucking like easy share out of the way, let's go hard because they start season two with the fucking Chris Benoit story. So cave, do you know who Chris Benoit is? No, I don't know who Chris Benoit is. So Chris Benoit is a wrestler. He was a uh, best friends of Eddie Guerrero. Who's like a legendary wrestler. Uh, he did a bad thing. <laughs> That is as specific as we were allowed to get on the show for legal reasons. Uh, no, I, I'm going to get more specific right, right now. Uh, he murdered his wife and son and hanged himself. Okay. At their home. Okay. And that led to a very awkward next episode of Monday Night Raw. <laughs> because, like, the story came out, Chris Benoit and his family are dead. That's all. I, that's all anyone knew. So Vince McMahon is like, hey, we're now going to have this episode be in, be in honor of Chris Benoit. And it's a bunch of people kind of getting up on stick, getting up on the camera on confessional stuff and talking about how much Chris Benoit meant to them. Then next week, the stuff said last week was made in haste. We will no longer be mentioning Chris Benoit. Because by the next week, because by the next episode, they knew what had happened. Yeah. Which was which was that Chris Benoit driven mad by the grief by the grief from most from the recent loss of um, of Eddie Guerrero and with some significant CTE damage, kind of lost his mind and and drugged and killed his son, killed his wife, and then hanged himself using gym equipment. Wow. That wow. It was a massive tragedy that fucking shook the wrestling world to its core. Yeah, no kidding. Fuck. Yeah. And that's why like wrestling is a serious fucking thing. Yes. Like you you you're gonna get injured if you get into it. Yes, and they actually followed up the Benoit episode with an episode about New Jack, a staple of the hardcore scene, who has almost killed a couple of his opponents in the ring. Wellity, wellity, wellity. Yeah, he just straight up stabbed a dude once in the ring. Uh, and then they also covered the brawl for all, which was a horrible idea that someone pitched to the WWE. Uh, hey, let's get a, let's get a bunch of our wrestlers and make them box for real. Yeah, boxing is boxing is fucking intense, and I say this as someone who's trained to box. Yes, it is hell. As someone who went through two months of boxing training. I can't say anything on it, but I have seen people box and motherfuckers. They, they go. Uh, when I was in training, the guy who taught me said, you're the kind of guy who can take a beating. So if you were ever to get into professional boxing, you'd probably get paid to take dives by going up against little guys who don't look like they can beat you and get the shit kicked out of you by them just rapid punching you in the face. And I was like, okay, 
I'm not doing that. It's a work, brother. <laughs> I'm not going into professional boxing. <laughs> yeah, I, me- I remember. I'm, like- also the- I'm also the kind of guy who can like knock those little guys out with one punch. So if I can get that hit in, they're not getting up. But remember, remember a couple years ago when like Conor McGregor was going like, yeah, I'm going to fight Floyd Mayweather. And people were like, yo, so Conor McGregor, what if he just kicks him in the face? Just like, just like trying to give whatever reason they can for why McGregor could win. while everyone else was saying, no, Mayweather's going to fucking kill him. Yeah, I remember that. And then they get the actual fight and Mayweather fucking kills him. Yeah, I remember that. <laughs> I'm just, I'm just remembering there was a, there was a bit on a website I go to where like, where like a Xavier Woods from the WWE and some and Samoa Joe were, were like sitting on a couch with a bunch of video game journalists, and one of them asked like, "So hey, McGregor versus Mayweather, what's going to happen?" And they're and they're both like, "Oh yeah, Mayweather." And the, and the guy asking was deeply Irish. <laughs> uh, but yeah, if you're all interested in like any kind of like. If you are interested in like the history of wrestling at all, then Dark Side of the Ring is actually really good. Dark Side of the Ring is actually really interesting. It it delves into is delves into like some very deep lore on wrestling, like back before WWE owned everything. Mm-hmm. And it was they they managed to handle it uh, relatively even handedly. Like they don't like they don't go like super hard for like hey this is the narrative we're trying to push they just kind of try to present things as objectively as they can at least it feels like that it was at least it feels that way and yeah I'm I I've, I'm I've been loving it for a couple of things I actually managed to interview the people involved who are still alive because some of the people are still alive ah oh, man. That's enough wrestling. Let's move on to something more serious. I watched the Sonic the Hedgehog. I watched the Sonic the Hedgehog movie. Can we go back to wrestling? <laughs> uh, yeah, I. I don't know, man. I was just like, yeah, I'm fucking bored. It's three p.m. on a Thursday. Let's watch a Sonic movie. I heard Jim Carrey is the only thing that makes that movie worth watching at all. That movie is fine. Sonic is fine. Uh, the guy doing the voice, Ben Schwartz, I think it is. I've watched a bit too much DuckTales, so I just kept seeing one of the DuckTales boys. I can't, I can't remember which one he voices. Let's see if I can look that up real quick. Yeah, sure. He does television. Uh, yeah, he does Dewey. So anytime Sonic Talk was just like, oh, okay, Dewey. Neat. I guess I was a bit too used to fucking like Jaleel White or whatever his name is. Urkel. Yeah, he was ultimately fine. Um, story. It's weirdly like it's weirdly front loaded with lore. Cause it starts Given at, how much there is in the Sonic universe, I'm not surprised, honestly. No, here's the thing. It's front loaded with lore without explaining any of what the lore is. Oh motherfucker, it's one of those. Yeah, so it's yeah, so it starts out with introducing Sonic as a five year old baby. 
He's running around fucking Green Hill Zone, his planet, whatever, and he's living with Longclaw, a massive talking owl who's also magic. <laughs> and Longclaw is very concerned that someone saw Sonic because, oh, Sonic's powers are too ridiculous. They People want the powers for themselves. And then a tribe of native echidnas show up and start, try, start fucking hucking spears at Sonic. Eventually shooting Longclaw in the thing in the fucking tit and then sending Sonic to Earth. And Sonic has a map of all the and Sonic has like a map of the realms, kind of like it's fucking Thor or whatever. I was like, hey, I'm from here. This is where I am. I'm going here next to the mushroom world. I don't want to go to the mushroom world. And the rings that Sonic carries are are used for travel. They are. Okay. Yeah, like, like you, you throw one of the rings out and then th- while thinking of a location, then it opens up into a portal to that location. Uh, and so at the, be- so at the beginning of the thing, um, Sonic, uh, he he ends up causing a massive explosion by running, by like, get, like having his powers like go out of control, which then knocks out um, the entire Pacific Northwest power grid. So then the government calls in Dr. Robotnik. Whose entire thing is that I am so smart. People can't even match up to how smart I am. I'm the smartest man alive. Ah, he's an all according to Keikaku person. Exactly. And that is the entire joke. Just imagine Jim Carrey doing his Jim Carrey shtick, but occasionally calling people stupid. See, now I'm imagining Ace Ventura. It's not as good as Ace Ventura. I'm so hungry right now. It's like if they made Ace Ventura 3 today. Why do I want chili dogs? You know why. Oh, yeah, we're talking about Sonic. Yeah. Oh, yeah, so the the entire storyline is not particularly revolved around Sonic. It's more built around fucking James Marsden. Oh, what a shock. I know, They made right? a movie about a childhood beloved hero coming into the mortal world. And instead of it being about the childhood beloved hero, it's more about the fucking human character they shoved into it. Yup. Man, we haven't seen that before, have we? At least it wasn't a human woman who ended up falling in love with Sonic. Like the, <laughs> like the 2000 Remember Sonic? Well, yeah, James Marsden, he's a cop in a small town, but he wants to be a cop in big town, and he got a job in San Francisco. Because according to him, he wants to be he wants someone to be tr- to, to rely on him in a life or death situation. But then Sarnik so shows up. But then Sarnik shows up on the run from do- on the run from Dr. Eggboy. <coughs> and he's about to open up. So a- Dr. Eggbeater is chasing him already. Yes, because yes, because uh, he found because when Sonic set off the explosion, Doctor Rob, Doctor Rob, Doctor Robert, he found the found epicenter in this fucking small town, and found Sonic's running shoe print on a rock. So he sends out his robots to scan the area. So Doctor Roomba found a footprint, and is using that to track Sonic. Uh, kinda. He's he's using the, he used that to prove that there was something living out here, and then he's using residual radiation from Sonic's powers to track them to the source. 
because Sonic's powers are uncontrollable lightning powers that don't seem okay. to his power his powers seem to be out of control whenever the movie needs him to be out of control ah narrative control the most useful kind yeah so James Marsden shoots Sonic with the fucking tranquilizer gun and Sonic sees the fucking skyline of San Francisco on James Marsden's shirt dropping a ring it opens up to San Francisco so he draws the rings into San Francisco and then that's the movie they gotta go to San Francisco to get the rings Meanwhile, fucking Dr. Robert is fucking running along going, I'm going to get you. I'm Jim Carrey playing the villain. Yeah. I've seen a lot of people compare this to Detective Pikachu because they are two regarded as good video game movies. Honestly, what you've said does not make this offensive to me in any way, which means it's comparatively one of the better video game movies. Oh, yeah, it very much is like. But so here, here's <laughs> the, here's the, the most depressing part. Here is the very, very weird thing about it, though. This movie is made. So, so the movie, shockingly, shocking nobody, is made for children. Really? I thought it was made for the hardcore fan base that shit itself when they saw that Sonic had been redesigned. That's the thing, though. They, it's weird. They keep, they keep making jokes or references that, you know, hey, old school Sonic fans will get. But the movie isn't made for them in any way, shape or form. And is made and is made to like actively reject them almost. The best choice. So it's like, hey, Sonic fans, we know that you were pissed off by by the design we showed you when it was a horrible fucking methed out demon. So we so we designed them, made them look made them look better. I was like, oh, fucking sick, thank you. And then they go to watch the movie. It's like, oh, this is not for me at all in any way, shape, or form. Like not even in not even in it's not even like for them in the way that like hey I'm going to see this with my kids but I can enjoy it too. It's hey I'm going to see this with my kids and it's not offensive. And that's about it. Like that's the movie is not offensively bad. It's also not very good. It's I feel like it's good for children because you know got the bright colors and shit explodes and it's all fucking fancy and there's the man and there's the man there, the man there going oh I make the funny faces. But beyond that, it's kind of nothing. It's also edited really badly at points. There's like scenes just like hard stop in the middle of and like without any real resolution. It feels like in the middle of scenes, they fucking hard stop cut to a different scene. Uh, Yeah, Sonic is there. His arc is I want to have friends and control my powers. Then by the end, James Marsden says he's my friend. I can control my powers. Yay. And I don't. I don't I don't know why this movie was made like this. I don't know why any movie is made like this. You know what I kind of wonder? What's that? Was this originally made by a, f- a couple of fans? It was. It got picked up and then corporated out the fucking ass. I think it might have been because uh Cuz that would explain why there's like, "Hey, look, Sonic reference for the fans." And then, "No, kid shit." I I, rem- I so I rem- I know that pretty much everyone involved wants the sequel to be about the actual Sonic lore. Like the writer, like like so the movie ends with a sequel tease where Tails shows up. 
Like Tails comes out of a portal and is like, all right, I need to find Sonic, and then fucking flies off to f- go find Sonic in Green Hills. <coughs> I get it because the town's called Green Hill. Would you count? Like, and this is, uh, this is entirely off topic. Would you count Wreck It Ralph as a video game movie? No. Yeah, me neither. It's a movie with video games involved. <coughs> Like it's a, it's a video game movie in the same way Who Framed Roger Rabbit is a movie about Hollywood. Hmm. It's probably a terrible analogy, but you get what I'm saying. You get what I'm saying. No, I get exactly what you're saying. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I know that. Uh, I know that. Uh, like a uh, Jeff Fowler, one of the either the director, or one of the writers, he they've said like hey yeah if we make a sequel we're delving way deeper into sonic lore uh jim carrey has said that he wants to play a more game accurate dr robotnik that would be awesome yeah because jim carrey would have to put on like 200 pounds you think he won't no that's i'm not saying he won't (laughs) you know what i mean yeah yeah i know what you mean like i want to see that now uh yeah so Yeah, so uh, Marsden is also uh, going to be involved with the future sequels because fucking of course he is. Uh, but he has said that these he has said that uh, he wants the games to feature more game characters. He wants to say, he wants to say, he says he yeah he says he wants the sequels to feature more game characters. And Jeff Fowler, who is the director, not one of the writers, he has said that uh, in the sequels it will be it will be focused it will be focused on the development of Tails and Sonic's friendship as well as the Doctor Robotnik evil plans. Uh, but yeah, I don't know. I I can see this having legs. Like I can see this potentially. I think it's going to be an interesting try for them to make a sequel here. Cause it didn't seem to do well enough as far as I heard. Uh, I think worldwide it made 300 I mean like just shy of 310 million and how much was its initial budget budget uh 95 on the high end okay no it's it's got it's got enough legs for sequels yeah and like and like domestically it made 150 mil so, I know, hadn't d- heard any of the critics I follow talking about it so like usually that spells a death knell It also released like right at the beginning of the COVID shit. So, you know, not, not exactly the best time to drop a movie, but I mean, it went up, it went up against, uh, the fantasy Island remake from Bloomhouse. Um, and then two movies I have never heard of. I, I don't I, that, that is so weird but yeah I still don't think it's I still don't think it's as good as Detective Pikachu no it's not as good as Detective Pikachu like Detective Pikachu was Detective Pikachu they put in a ridiculous amount of effort to make that feel like it's actually part of the same world as Pokemon 
which they kind of had to like i it would be Im- it would be at least to me next to impossible to do a standard kids movie based on po- based on pokemon Where like fucking Pikachu falls through a portal ends up in Los Angeles, and he, and he fucking has to, and he has to teach like a fucking business, like an ad executive, what it means to be human. Probably starting. You know to... the worst part. What's that? It's so long as it wasn't more than ten minutes, I'd watch that. So long as a feature film wasn't more than ten minutes, you'd watch that. No, so long as that concept wasn't more than ten minutes, I'd watch that. Because as a t- as a like a short. That sounds like an interesting idea. As a full-length film, oh god, why? Because they work for the Smurfs, I want to work for Pokemon. Oh god. Fucking Smurfs. That's every fucking kid's movie, man. Just just hey, you know these classic fantastical characters that you love seeing in their like in their own unique world? Let's bring them to Earth. No, but Los Angeles. And and Welcome to Earth. And Neil Patrick Harris is there. Why Neil Patrick Harris? He needs the money. Yeah, to pay for his awesome ass Halloween costumes. Yeah. Man has some bitchin' Halloween costumes. I've seen. Kinda helps when you know you're fucking loaded. And also have friends in various makeup departments from Broadway and in Hollywood. Nothing but love in PH. Nothing but love. Neil Patrick Harris. Could you hook a brother out? (laughs) Could you hook Hook a a, brother up? Could you hook a brother out? Could you hook a brother up? I told you this whole thing's been messing with my sanity. (laughs) Oh, then finally I finished The Mandalorian. Can we talk about wrestling again? (laughs) Lost a lot of shine on the third time. But yeah, I. You've revealed to the audience that I made the joke earlier. God damn it. Yeah, I still. So I, I originally fell off of this after I had my little bit of a blow up, and potentially friend and potentially friendship ending just talk with Caveman about how I kind of hate Star Wars. Honestly, at this point, I kind of agree with you. Um, they have just like they have driven that space train straight into a black hole and have kind of ruined one of my favorite franchises. Well, you don't, you didn't think that Ray got to be a Skywalker? Or Emperor Palpatine? He's got four Honestly, the part that I hate the most is that Disney fucking just eliminated the extended universe. Non-canon kind of ruins a huge portion of Star Wars for me. I hate that Disney owns it just because I don't like Disney owning things. Yeah, well, when they Disney. offer you a billion dollars for your site, you're not going to say no. Yeah, I will. You shouldn't. <laughs> I will. Fuck, fuck them. Fuck Disney. Okay. You'll be the lone creator <laughs> in the world that doesn't work for Disney. Yeah, I'm fine with that. I'm going to sell out to Disney when they come knock. I would. I, I expected you to. <laughs> I need the money. Yeah, I need the money too. Fuck Disney. I would rather be I would rather be the fucking I would rather be the goddamn man smoking a cigarette over the over the fucking infected dam than living in the fucking blasted heath. I will bend over for the mouse <laughs> because honestly enough money to set my family uh for life would be wonderful. 
It would be, but then you'll have to enjoy every Star Wars movie. Uh, okay, I can go back to doing that with alcohol. No, sober, on camera. Okay, I can pretend. Now watching every second. Get ready to have a Twitter account devoted to Star Wars fandom. <laughs> that would require me to have a Twitter. You'll have seven. <laughs> and none of them will get updated. Oh, they will. I'll make you. Welcome to the machine, son. Alright, let me buy a bot to update my Twitter by just <laughs> posting Star Wars memes. <laughs> uh, like I got a billion dollars. I can afford it. Like you know where to find a bot. Yeah, I'll find one eventually. Enough Googling. Like you know how to set up a bot. Uh, I'll, I'll hand the account over to someone who can set it up for me. <laughs> I'll pay you to do it. No. <laughs> then you don't have to sell out to Disney. You can help your friend. I will force them to cancel your contract. <laughs> oh, that's not fun. I'll post DreamWorks nice. memes. Oh, no. Somebody once told me. The world was gonna roll me. <laughs> so in this dystopian alternate reality, I'm not friends with Dead anymore. Yeah. Because Disney wouldn't let me be. Anyway, yeah, The Mandalorian. I, I like the show. I like the old school, like spaghetti western feel, and like the sci-fi setting. I like. I like a lot of the characters. I like the setting, I find. I find the Mandalorian in this. I find like the Mandalorian culture in this iteration of it interesting. Does he ever get a name? Uh yes. Well, well don't, don't spoil it for me because I might watch it. But. I don't. I don't know why that's important, but yeah, I get the name. Because he was, he's not a character until he has a name. Yeah, he is. No, he's not. He, 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 he. People can be characters without names. Nope. The man with no name. Has a name. We just don't know it. Well, actually, we do know it, but still. He... <laughs> so hold, hold the fuck up. The man with no name has a name, but we don't know it. So he's a character. The Mandalorian has a name, but we don't know it. But because we don't know it, he doesn't have a name, so he's not a character. I love how upset you get when I'm just dicking around. Because I can't tell what the difference between you dicking around and you actually having an opinion on the movie. <laughs> I know. It's wonderful. I'm so monotonous. It's actually really terrible because my wife can't tell when I'm telling the joke. <laughs> oh, I actually genuinely hate the fact that I've kind of like got one tone unless I'm laughing my ass off. Now I'm depressed again. But yeah, so... Mandalorian, I, it's really good. It just, just don't think about Star Wars while you're watching it. I always think about Star Wars. Just like me, me sitting down to watch the Mandalorian and trying to forget everything I know about Star Wars actually made the show more enjoyable for me. <sighs> because like I, I didn't have to think about all their stupid inconsistencies. I didn't have to think about. All the dumb shit that people that's part of Star Wars now. I didn't have to think about all the dumb shit that was originally included in Star Wars. I didn't have to think about. I could just I could just sit down and try to enjoy the TV show for what it was, and what it was was a well directed, well paced, well acted show. It 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 found that it actually found like the weird decent middle line between being completely episodic and actually being serialized somewhat. Okay. 
because the entire the, the entire show is for those who don't know the premise of the show the Mandalorian is a bounty hunter he gets sent out on a job and the job is to bring in a small thing that looks like a young Yoda uh, be it dead or alive uh, he ends up working with a secondary ro- he ends up working with a secondary bounty hunter and that bounty hunter is an IG unit a robot I was like hey and so they get there and it's like hey we need to eliminate the, we need to eliminate the target so so Mandalorian kills him to save the baby brings the baby back to the target brings the baby back to the client realizes that he did made a bad de- realizes that he made a bad decision and needs to fucking protect the baby he goes back gets the baby and then just, the rest of the series is just him running from bounty hunters with the baby trying to find a place for trying to find a place where he can actually keep the baby and be safe And so each episode is just, hey, we're on a new planet. Whoops, bounty hunters. But it all still works well. The episodes have different feels to them. They all have different like storylines going through them. It's it's not all just it's not all just, ah, look, new new location. Let's introduce new friends. What bounty hunters are here? I gotta go. They manage to keep it fresh. They actually have they have a, they have a fucking heist episode. Ooh, I love heist episodes. Yeah, heist episode with a fucking awesome cast that includes goddamn Clancy Brown as a demon. Okay. Yeah, and Bill Burr's there too. Honestly, like, every time I look at The Mandalorian, I'm like, is this a D&D session gone massively awry? You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I actually, like, a little bit. I get, I get that. Like, I feel like the first uh, session was... Hey, I'm going to build this awesome bounty hunter, but he hates robots. And then the other guy's like, I want to play a robot. <laughs> yeah, it honestly, Okay, going to kill your ass. Yeah, it feels like someone trying to run like a one-on-one session for somebody, but that guy just keeps rolling awesome. Mm. Until so the very, if you were trying to run a one- one-on-one session with me. Yeah, until the very end where he just, where he just ends up rolling a bunch of shit and cracks his skull open. <laughs> Uh, of course, honestly, any any fantasy story kit does end up sounding like that to me because I'm obsessed with D and D. Uh huh. Yeah, it was actually it was actually an int- uh, interesting comparison. Um, uh, the guys over at Red Letter Media they did a they did a breakdown on like the Mandalorian on one of their shows, and they talked about how like a uh, how like old school Star Wars that people actually enjoyed was like this weird mixture of like East and West influences. Hmm. And how the Mandalorian's kind of a return to form on that, where like the Mandalorian is, you know, old west bounty hunter man with no name, but has like the honor of a samurai. It's like it's a kind of that weird combination juxtaposition kind of thing. Mandalorian's really neat. And I want to see where it goes from there. I also kind of love the fact that Werner Herzog is in it and his major contribution to the show was have that fucking puppet on screen as much as goddamn possible. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Someone uh, tried to like someone who was working on the set was like, no, this one's this is mine now <laughs> like, when the <laughs> shoot was over. Cause the, the, the doll, the doll for the baby Yoda is so cute. I've seen pictures. It was probably, it was probably Werner Herzog. It might have been. I don't remember who it was, but I know someone yeah. was like, I'm keeping this now. Oh, you yeah. need and to make another okay, one. And the other thing I want to talk about uh, with this show is the way it was shot. Because it it was shot, like, a lot of the effects, a lot of the effects, like, the environment stuff was actually all rendered real time. So, like, uh, I think it was the folks over at ILM. Uh, they, 
they built this like massive like 70 foot by 22 foot high uh LE, like LCD wall and they and so and so then they they built a lot of the uh, like backgrounds and stuff or like like a lot of the, like the set areas on in like Unreal Engine and then rendered it in real time and so as the camera moved around the moved around the actor uh the like depth of field or whatever would change in the background on like it would change on the background in real time so that the background would always look like so the background would always look real basically that's awesome yeah and, and so like a lot of it was just shot in like this massive sound stage where the actors could actually see what the environment was around them the lights could like you know react in real time and like cast realistic shadows based on the environment that they're in and any changes they want to make they just go into unreal engine and just like and like click a button and drag a mouse around and then change the environments that is brilliant. Yeah, like a lot of the if Star Wars is doing nothing else, it's pushing forward a lot of really sick tech. Because I know that in the Han Solo movie, uh, they push forward. The, there's this other thing that they did where a dude had a camera that was essentially looking at a pre-visualization of the special effects, like like an early vision of the special effects. So he'd be able to like move the camera around and see all the special effects and how it would look in camera after they were done. That's awesome. Yeah, so yeah, so it would be a bit of like Peter, like a Woody Harrelson on the train or something, and he's like you know shooting at fucking stormtroopers, the coming on the speeder bikes, and then it would be a guy moving moving a camera around on set so that he could actually see how Woody Harrelson like how Woody lines up with the fucking special effects. It's in the same kind of way that like Avatar is a very bad movie, but it was used to push forward those fucking sick ass three D cameras. I'd say it's a mediocre movie. I, I wouldn't fuck, say it's a very I bad fuck, movie. I fucking hate. I fucking hate Avatar. Eh, it's passable. <sighs> Who is ready for Avatars two through five? One of my friends. <laughs> one of my friends is absolute. One of my friends learned to speak Navi. So. <sighs> Oof. Oof. Like, hey, she has her fandoms. I have mine. If she enjoys it. God bless her. Do you think she'd be hot? You think she'd be hot or cold on Dances with Wolves? I have no idea. That would be a neat. That'd be a neat science experiment. Just, <laughs> just get a, a a room full of Avatar obsessed fans to watch Dan- Dances with Wolves. Dance with Wolves, Fern Gully. Oh God, Fern Gully! Uh, j- just any of those movies that are basically just Avatar, and see if they get the same level of connection to it. Who knows, man? Who knows? And then from there, you devolve into furries. I'm see not deep, sure how that's a devolution. See how deep the degeneracy goes. I need this info for science. You need this info so you can masturbate to it. That's what you need. I don't masturbate to charts. <laughs> no, you masturbate to graphs. That's neither here nor there. <laughs> oh. Let me just close these taps of bar graphs. <laughs> Dude, we're in the middle of a recording. Wait until we're finished. I can mute. <laughs> Oh, man. Anyway. What have you been watching, Cave? Well, on the uh, topic of changing your perspective so you can actually enjoy something, 
I've realized that most movies, books, TV shows, etc. have kind of forced me into this, like, narrow field of view where I expect a story to follow these kinds of beats and then, like, I can't, en- I-, I have trouble enjoying it if it doesn't follow those kinds of beats. I'll be sitting there like, well, where's the thing I've been expecting? And that has never been more the case than the movie The Willoughbys. Okay. This is an animated film that um, Netflix has been shoving in my wife and I's face for a while. And she was like, I want to watch it. And I was like, okay, sure. And I watched (laughs) it and I enjoyed it. But I didn't enjoy it until I realized I needed to stop looking at it like it should follow my point-by-point script. So the Willoughbys stars uh, four characters. Uh, They're siblings. Um, The oldest son, named Tim. The girl, named Jane. And the uh, the creepy, because they're not really creepy, but they're supposed to be creepy, twin boys named Barnaby. Both of them are named Barnaby. Okay. Um, and the movie starts off with them finding a baby. And, like, we've got a cat narrator who, like, keeps interfering in the story, so he's not really a narrator, he's a character. Um, but he, he's like, I'm just the narrator, I'm just nudging things along a little bit. So they find a baby and, like, bring it inside. And then, like, we were, like one of the big things with this movie is the parents are... The most hot garbage kind of hot garbage that you've ever hot garbaged. Okay. Like, uh... You know what I mean? Like, child called it kind of awful, or... Like, we don't feed our children. They have to steal food from us. And we shove them in the coal bin for wanting anything short of go to your room. So, yeah, child called it. Yeah. Um... They are the hottest of hot garbage... And, uh, like, the movie basically begins with them being terrible and throwing their children out for finding an orphan and bringing it inside out of the rain. Oh, hell yeah, dude. This orphan baby is a demon, as far as I'm concerned. (laughs) Because while all of the children are weird, this thing moves at the speed of sound and eats everything. So, I'm pretty sure the baby's a demon. Um... But that doesn't come up. So then the kids are like, well, we've got to get rid of this baby. Let's find a home for it. So they follow the rainbow to the end where they find Mr. Melanoff, who is voiced by Terry Crews. Hell yeah, dude. <laughs> and they deposit the baby on his doorstep. And like he's he's a character. He'll come back later. Um, and then as the, on their way home, they're like, man, if only we were orphans, then we could find our forever home. <laughs> and the movie does one of like a joke that I hate that always makes me laugh, which is the point that thing. Oh God, not that thing. No, that thing. Oh God, not that thing. No, the third thing that you haven't looked at yet. And it always makes me laugh. And I hate that it makes me laugh so much. I hate it. I hate that it makes me laugh. <laughs> um, but then, like, it's it's the trailer tease bait. It's like, what if we send our parents on a horrifying vacation to kill them? Then we will be orophons. Woo, logic. Yeah. So they send their parents on this vacation, but the parents are like, shit. 
we we'd be neglectful even though they've already been neglectful if we just abandoned our kids we'll have to hire a nanny so they hire like they like they specify we want the least qualified nanny possible and they get one who is is a really sweet lady her name's Linda um she wait a minute directly references Mary Poppins hold hold, um, hold the fuck up what so the horrible neglectful abusive parents are Wait a minute, what are we doing leaving our children alone? We need to get a nanny to look after them. Yes, that's what we should do. Okay, find the worst nanny possible. Like, what? Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, I know. My wife and I were both like, where the fuck is this movie going? Multiple fucking times. Ooh, that I... Um, it, 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 it goes places. Um, did, they just, like, did they just get the worst nanny possible in case she get the children killed so they could sue her? No, they got the worst pet nanny possible, so they wouldn't have to spend a lot of money. They were like, well, we have to get a nanny. And then it was like, what do we get a not-so-good nanny? And so they just hire some rando off the street. Who okay, turns that makes out to be a, a really awesome nanny. Okay, that makes a bit more sense. Yeah, she she turns out to be a really awesome nanny, but... um, and voiced by Maya Rudolph. Uh, her name's Linda. Um, and now you know every character that actually matters to the story. Uh, you've oh uh, the baby's name is Ruth because they they were ruthless by abandoning her on someone else's doorstep. Oh hell yeah, dude! These these kids are some kind of special. <laughs> oh hell yeah, it's them and the Baudelaire's. Well yeah, it, there's a lot of a series of unfortunate event events uh, shit scattered throughout here. Um, but from the looks of it, looks like it, it looks down with a bit more insanity energy. Oh, a lot of insanity energy, and there's also a lot of referential humor. Mm. Um, like, so we, we fast forward and, um, like they have, they bond with the nanny and tell her, oh, we found an orphan and abandoned her at this factory. And they, they go and meet Mr. Melanoff, who's a really cool guy who's basically like, Hey kids, I'm cool. And I'm awesome. And at this point, me and my wife are like, Oh, the narrative is them finding out that family isn't necessarily what you're born with, but the people that you accept into your life and love. Yeah. They're going to end up as one big fat happy family. All right. Can we wrap this up? Oh shit. We're only like 30 minutes into the movie. <laughs> Oh no. So um they go back home, the nanny gets a call from the parents. Um the parents uh are selling the house to continue paying for their vacation. Uh so then like the kids find the phone and it's a big misunderstanding because the parents said take care of the children and she responded I'll take care of the children. Yes. And and Tim does it in that evil voice. Like, he's the one who's like, yes, the nanny's evil, see? I'll take care of the children. Ah! Yes, I'll um, take care of the children. <laughs> and, and one of the story beats in this movie was, if you find an orphan, call O-O-O-O. So he calls the uh, Department of Orphan Services, O-O-O-O. Um, which I feel like they could have made a better joke there. Yeah, I'm, tr I'm still waiting for the joke. Yeah, um, people come to buy the house, they scare them all off, Linda reveals that she was helping them all along, uh, by pretending to be a horrifying house demon, uh, she reveals, no, 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 I'll take care of the children, was not evil, it was, I'm gonna protect you guys and keep, help keep your house. The Department of Orphan Services shows up, and 
uh, reveals that Tim w- was a dick who called and said that he didn't like his nanny. Um, takes them all to the uh, orphanarium. Uh, the kids get separated. Naturally. Um, and then, like, Linda, like, shows up and is like, Hey, motivational speech. Fuck your motivational speech, nanny. Motivational speech? All right, motivational speech. <laughs> I want a movie to do that. I genuinely want a comedy movie to just have characters go, motivational speech. No! Motivational hey, look, man, speech. Heartfelt character okay. moving speech. No, fuck you. <gasps> heartfelt character moving speech. Right, fine. Fuck, calm down, dude. Um, and so, like, they go and rescue all of the kids from the, uh, parents, who were basically, like, extreme versions of what the kids were. Like, uh, Jane likes to sing, so she got put in a house where they, the family's, like, all into music, but, like, she also liked to imagine what-if scenarios where, like, things were better. Mm-hmm. So, like... She's in a good house, so there's no point in her imagining. And the Barnabies, who are, like, tinkerer, inventor kind of guys, um, were, like, plugged into the internet and just left to sit. Because their fam- the family they were sit with, like, just loves VR. Uh, yeah, okay. Yeah, it, um, and the, the, the Department of Orphan Services is, like, a very obvious, like, men in black reference. And, like, I'm like, you can't make them villains. Except they're not, because, like, every so often we cut to the Department of Orphan Services uh, lady, and she's like, man, Linda seems to be doing well for herself. I'm proud of her. (laughs) (laughs) Which is just like, okay, that's a discordant note. Okay, uh, it seems like I might be having some internet issues, but I'll just keep going. Um... So they go to Melanoff and say, we need your factory. Only not in that tone. Um, and Melanoff's like, sure. And lets them use their factory. So like they build a flying machine and go to Switzerland, which was their final trump card to kill their parents. <laughs> like there's a mountain in Switzerland where if you climb it, you're not coming down. And so for reference, are you saying Switzerland with the, th- with the thick accent of the movie or is Switzerland a specific thing in the movie? I'm not actually sure, because whenever it's spelled in the subtitles, it's Switzerland. But, like, it might just be the way the kids say Switzerland. I don't know. <laughs> okay, yeah, I'm watching a trailer for it right now. Like, muted, um, because, you know, reasons. But, yeah, one thing that I am... It's weird, uh, the... The visual style in the movie, because like for the most part, it looks like a standard animated movie. But then all of the hair, all of the clouds, anything that like is anything that is like you know, it looks gaseous, like uh, Yoshi's it, Woolly World. Yeah, it's like yarn or wool or something. But everything else it, isn't like that. It looks like Yoshi's Woolly World, and it's weird. Um, my wife was actually like throughout the entire movie trying to figure out what was the point of all the knitting. It doesn't ever have a point. But knitting is, like, such a major thing that we even see a side character doing it at some point. It's weird. Yeah, like, there are points in this where it looks almost like claymation. I'm curious as to what, like, if it was computer generated or, like, what, because... Yeah, and, and, like, looking at, like, the world itself, uh, like... It's beautifully done. 
Yeah, it, it, like, it, it, looks, it looks really good. It, but it, and it's got this kind of frantic energy that I hope has come across in my description. Um, but so the they they fly across the world. Uh, at one point, the cat is driving because everybody fell asleep, and the cat's <laughs> just sitting there driving, drinking coffee. And then it's like, wait, I'm a cat, I can't drive. As yeah. they start to careen into chaos, and I'm just like, okay. The cat, voiced um, by Ricky's your face. Absolutely dynamite in his role. Dynamite in his role. Um. Yeah, the only voice actor I noticed was Terry Crews, and I immediately was like, ah, Terry Crews! Yeah, the, <laughs> I know which person you voiced. This has a fucking cast. Yeah, and like I said, it's well done. Yeah, um, so so the children, uh, Tim, Jane, and the Barnabies, are voiced by Will Forte, Alessia, Alessia Cara, and uh, Sean Cullen, respectively. Okay. The parents are voiced by Martin Short and Jane Krakowski. Okay, I recognize one of them. Uh, and then, uh, and then, uh, Linda and, and, uh, Mr. Mel and Cap- Commander Melanoff is Terry Crews and Maya Rudolph. Maya Rudolph is an SNL alum. Yeah, I know. And then Jane Krakowski, she is, she was in 30 Rock. Okay. See, I've never seen 30 Rock, so. Uh, yeah, she was also in Ally McBeal and the Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. Never watched either of those either. Also, my National Lampoon's Vacation. Oh. Never watched that either. Jesus Christ. Her filmography. Never seen it. <laughs> yeah, let's um, see what else there is. So, like, so they, like, they find their parents because as their parents were freezing to death, they started kissing. And they hear the smooching, and that's the only part of their parents that hasn't frozen. <laughs> so they thaw the parents out and are like, hey motivational speech about family and the parents are like uh motivational speech about family fuck you we're stealing your flying device and going somewhere else eat my ass you fucking children which i was praying for because if they had given the parents an, an emotional heel turn and turned them into good people this movie would be getting a two out of a one out of five <laughs> it would be getting one star if they had done that if everything else was the exact same, but they changed that, you'll fuck this entire movie. Yeah, seriously. No, the ending can ruin a film for me. Um, but the parents don't have a heel turn. They take the flying machine, and yeah, neither of them, none of them, know how to drive. So uh, they immediately crash. Uh, for ref, uh, just just for reference, uh, for terminology, what you're talking about is a face turn. Yeah, sorry, face turn. They're already um, heels. Yeah, sorry, face turn. Uh, also, the parents are named Mother and Father, and as far as more, never get any other name other than Mother and Father, and are the most disturbing characters I've seen in a while. Uh, and I play D&D with James. Oh. <laughs> 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 uh, <coughs> so, um, like, they crash, and then the kids are like, well, we're dead. And then Jane's like, motivational song uh and then the demon finds them the the <laughs> demon the demon baby oh the baby okay yeah um i was like wait wh- wh- when where the fuck does this movie have a demon in it <laughs> the demon baby i i'm insistent that baby is a demon oh right jack, jack. The, it's like oh right jack jack the baby heard her singing and like launched from a helicopter with like the tiniest tether to dive bomb a snow pile to find them and like yeah that's just some deadpool shit deadpool ain't a demon 
Yes, but Deadpool also ain't a baby. That you know of. <laughs> uh, but uh, so Melanov and Linda show up and um, it's like, oh, your family, where are they? We want to tell them how great their kids are and how terrible they are. And the kids are like, yeah, we're pretty sure they're really dead this time. Because <laughs> like horrific crash. Um, and they're like, could we be family? And Melanoff's like, family bobsled on my body down the mountain. <laughs> Which, whatever. Um, and the movie ends with everyone but Tim growing a mustache. Uh, because that, that was a big thing for Tim. He wanted to grow a mustache because he's a Willoughby and all the Willoughbys have fine mustaches. <laughs> uh, and we see, we get to see mother and father eaten by a shark. Nice. Which made me happy. All right, then. So, Anything else we've been watching? Uh, I've watched a few things, actually, and I uh, want to talk about all of them. Uh, uh, so, uh, the show might someone... reach an hour. The show might reach an hour in 45 minutes. So, normally, when I ask, I, like, I hate asking people, do you like murder mysteries? Because <laughs> I, I, I inevitably get one of two answers back. Yeah, I love them. My favorite is Sherlock Holmes. <laughs> Not a specific story, just Sherlock yeah. Holmes. My favorite is the entire collected works of Sherlock Holmes. Or, oh yeah, I love Murder on the Orient Express. Don't get me wrong, Murder on the Orient Express is a great story. Mm -hmm. Absolutely fucking wonderful. Agatha Christie is a stellar writer, but that story has been done to fucking death. Yes. My personal fate, my absolute favorite murder mystery is and then there were none. And I have never seen a, an actual performed version of it. I've only read it, and I've read it like a dozen times because it's my favorite. For reference, mine is When a Body Meets a Body. So I got and then there were none on Pride. Um, It was, I believe, like the 2017 version, uh, acted by a whole host of British actors, and it was fucking phenomenal. Yeah, this is this is one that uh, we, I think I found for you. Like we were like we were talking yeah, about you, like, and then you, there were none. I was like, man, I really want to watch this, and you were like, well, it's on Prime, and I was like, done. <laughs> yeah, like, it took me a while to actually get around to getting it, but yeah, it's like yeah, like we were just like we were talking. Um, I couldn't remember the like non-offensive name for this thing. Yeah, uh, and then there were none. Uh, they go with they they redub the uh, poem as. Um, uh, ten Little Soldiers instead of Ten Little Indians. Yeah. And it's a theming device throughout the entire story. Yes. Or See, the, the other one. The idea is um, that everyone in this is guilty of some horrific crime. And uh -huh. throughout the story, they all die in a way that relates back in some way to the, uh, to the original story. And the reason I love this so much is I have gotten to the point where I can predict most stories and how they will end. I can foresee how they'll end. I like, especially with murder mysteries, I know who the murderer is a good 60 to 70% of the time. When I finished the book, I went back and reread the section where the murderer like claims to have started giving themselves away. Mm-hmm. And I still couldn't figure out how they did it. <laughs> yeah. 
So I, I reread and finally I figure it out and I understand. I'm like, oh man, this was brilliantly executed. And like, oh, I fuck, I fucking love it. And then there were none. And then there were none is a masterpiece of uh, murder mystery fiction. And I'm going to give a quick rundown of the characters. Uh, Vera Claythorne. Um, she killed a kid. Uh, Judge Lawrence Wargrave. Uh, do, well, uh, for, well, for reference. I guess for... Well, thing, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm going to list the accusations. I'm not going to list what, what they actually did, but... Okay, so... so yeah, that, that's basically what I'm asking. Like, hey, is this... Spoiler in any way. Like, is it... Or is this like... Is this like fairly early in episode one, they like show up and then like, hey, guess what, fuckers? Blah. Yeah, episode one, they, they're accused of these crimes. Um, Like, they're accused and it's like, but uh... You're murderers, all of you. Okay. And I'm probably going to get some of them wrong because I don't remember every character. Okay. Um, I have to watch this too. This is, this is good. Oh, it's fucking brilliant. Um, honestly, I might just end up like, like, I, I, I remember some of them. I don't remember all of them because it has been a long time since I've watched both this and read the book. So, well, I mean, um, if you want, I mean, we do have a show where we watch shows. I'd have to load up Prime on my computer, but I would love to watch this with you. Oh hell yeah, dude! Let's get, let's go. Once Titans, right. once, once Titans gets all up, we got. I just got two more installments to do that, that, and then one. Was that we can do and counting, and then there are none. So Vera Claythorne, and by the way, all of them are guilty of some horrendous crime. Yes, you mentioned. Uh, that. I'm just. I'm not like. These are the crimes they're accused of. Vera Claythorne accused of killing a, a child that was in her care. Judge Lawrence Wargrave accused of wrongfully ki- convicting a man. That he knew, like, that he didn't have evidence to convict of. Uh, Dr. Edward Armstrong, accused of killing a patient on the table by, you know, abusing drugs. Detective Sergeant William Bloor, accused of killing a uh, gay criminal that was in his cells. Um, General John MacArthur, accused of killing, um, a, accused of killing a fellow soldier. Um, oh god, uh. Who were you? Uh, I think Emily Brent was accused of uh, killing a young girl that was in her care. Yeah, she was accused of killing a young girl that was in her care. Um, Philip Lombard. Who were you in this? I can't remember who you were, so let me see if I can't remember someone else. Thomas Roger? Uh, uh Oh, yeah. Uh, Mr. and Mrs. Rogers were accused, I believe, yes. accused of killing their former employer. Yes. Thomas and Ethel. Yeah. Thomas and Ethel Rogers were accused of killing their former employer. Um, yeah, you know, you're, you're one of the bodies. Uh, I wish I could sort this by bodies versus uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, versus uh, potential victims. Uh, let's see, someone, one of them, uh, ran over some people, and I think that might have, uh, been, uh, oh, fuck, who was it? Oh, well, I can't, I can't remember all of them, but, like, they're all, they're, like, they come in, they're all accused of a crime, and, like, almost the very next, I think actually that same night, bodies start dropping. And, like... Some of the ways the bodies drop, like, to relate to the poem, my, my wife was sitting there like, that's a bit of a stretch. And I'm like, they're on a deserted island. 
<laughs> you gotta take what you can get. <laughs> yeah, so I guess for anybody but, interested in the cast, because uh, I have I have all the names up here, and I know, and I know, I know essentially everyone in the show. Awesome. Well, I'll leave that to you while I sit here in solemn silence. All righty then. So. Uh, this is listed in, I don't know if there's any particular order that this wants to be going in, uh, but, uh, yeah, so, um, I'm, I'm gonna just list off everybody, and then if you have any questions about somebody, or if I feel the need to point out anything about them. Uh, so, Douglas Booth, uh, Charles Dance, he was in Game of Thrones, he was Tywin Lannister, uh, Maeve Derm, Maeve, uh, Dermody, uh, she's been in a bunch of fucking, uh, stuff, uh, Bern Gorman, fucking strong name, for one thing. And another thing, uh, he was uh, in he was in a uh, Torchwood and the Pacific Rim movies. Uh, Anna Maxwell Martin, uh, Sam Neill, Miranda Richardson, Toby Stevens, Noah Taylor, and Aiden Turner are kind of are based on this thing. Our kind of main group of people. And that's a fucking cast and a half if you ever if you ever goddamn seen one. Oh, yeah. The cast in this was absolutely stellar. Not only because a lot of these names are people that I recognized. Wait, I didn't know their names, but I recognized them from other shit. Did I name like, Sam Neill in that? Um, I don't remember. Yeah, so fucking Sam Neill's in was, it. He was absolutely brilliant as General John MacArthur. Like, his performance was fucking dynamite. Sam Neill's in Rick and um, Morty? What? What? Sam Neill's in Rick and Morty. Sam Neill's listed as in being in Rick and Morty. Say what? Uh, yeah, from the episode "The Old Man in the Seat." Okay, the more you know. Oh right, isn't? I think this is the episode where Rick goes to war because someone used his toilet. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah, fuck uh, Sam Neill's in that one. The more you know, eh? Yeah. So is Kathleen Turner. And Taika Waititi. Man, I, I love looking. At the, I love looking at the voice cast of just these fucking shows and just seeing like, wait, how many fucking people do I know are in this? Oh man, I love voice acting. Oh yeah, voice acting is awesome, and I really want to get into it. So if ever a uh, professional voice acting studio needs a dumbass to uh, do a character that you don't really care about. I'm available. But yeah, the cast was absolutely dynamite in this. And just, oh my God. Like there were, I know how the story ends. And there were points where I was like, wait, what? (laughs) Like I have read this book through and there were moments where I got confused. And I was like, wait, um, did no no they're not the no what what the hell's going on and there were also moments where I was like okay I'm waiting for you to do the thing because I know this thing is going to happen and I'm excited for it how are you guys going to tie it into this part of the and it got to the point where I looked up the poem mm-hmm. I looked up the fucking poem so that I could try and remember who was going to die when and so that me and my wife could debate because my wife I, if I remember didn't remember the story she didn't remember who was going to die when. I remembered who was who, but I couldn't remember how they were going to die. So, so I'm sitting, and we were like, we're going to watch one episode, then we're going to move on to something else. Because this this is a, it is a dark 
fucking version. Like, there are no really lighthearted segments. It is dark, and it stays dark. Yeah. Like, there is one joke, and it's kind of a breaking of the tension, we're all kind of going crazy joke. Okay. Um... I, I, it's not really a spoiler to say it, but like I, they're all leveling accusations at each other. Well, you must have done. It. You must have done. It. Well, you're the only one that we couldn't find. And he was like, "I, I had, I had constipation. Okay, Look, <laughs> I man, was I, on the toilet trying to get it out. Man, I was sweating my ass off in that foul den. All right. Look, man, and, I had Taco Bell shits. Okay. And they all just died laughing for a minute, and it was great because <laughs> it was quite obviously like this isn't really funny. But we're all going a little crazy yeah. here. We need literally anything to liven the mood. Mm-hmm. It's like, no, guys, it's really serious. Like, I found blood. And. <laughs> and it hasn't stopped. I've just worn a diaper. I, the main problem with watching and then there were none and wanting to talk about it is I want to spoil it. Because the ending is so good. But I don't want to spoil it because the ending is so good. Yeah. Um, I'm just glad that when we do watch it, I'm not one of those people like, oh, oh, oh this part here, this part here, this part here. Um, <laughs> so, and then there were none is, uh, it's, it's, it's one of my favorites and I highly recommend it to anyone who is interested in murder mysteries so that you can stop saying your favorite is, uh, the murder on the Orient Express because fucking Christ has that been done to death. <laughs> Um, there's also a really old version on, on, uh, Amazon prime. I'm not sure if it's available with any of the services that you can get, or if it's one of the prime movies that you can watch for free. Um, we had to pay to watch. And then there were none, this version, the 2015 version. Mm -hmm. Um, and it was well worth it. In my opinion, it is an absolute fucking dynamite, uh, miniseries. Um, the setting, uh, so, uh, the reason that the people don't just flee is they are on a desert, in a mansion on a deserted island. Uh, it's one of those like, oh, I was rich, so I bought an island and built my house on it, mansions, that is serviced by a single boat that stops coming. Yeah. There's no phone lines to communicate with, and I bet you're wondering, how does the murderer announce to everyone that he's going to kill them if they can't, like, get away and can be hunted down? They use a, they hired the Rogers to manage the house for them and put and recorded a record of their voice leveling the accusations and then put it on to play. And it played through a speaker system throughout the house. And this is also old days. So there weren't cell phones and telephones weren't as common. Yeah, this is 39. So, yeah. So like it's entirely believable that they're like slipping around and doing all this though. I kind of want to see a version of this. That's like on a cruise ship. Like someone like took 10 people out on a yacht. So like they modernized it. Like cut the engine. So like they're just free floating as 10 people get killed. I, I think that'd be interesting. That, I feel like that for sure exists. <laughs> if it doesn't exist, feel free to use the idea. <sighs> um, but yeah, and then there were none. It's an absolutely brilliant piece. I recommend it wholeheartedly. Moving on to something I recommend a little less. Absurd Planet. I like documentaries. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and Absurd Planet claims to be a documentary series about weird shit in nature. The problem is all of the weird shit they've covered is stuff I already knew. 
<laughs> like, motherfucker, come up with something different. Uh, they do it in a humorous way. They start out with a David Attenborough impersonator narrating over and beginning of and the beginning of life involved the primordial soup and a weird m- mountain of shit. And then Mother Nature decided, you know what? Let's get crazy. And here's Mother Nature. And then like a woman voicing Mother Nature comes in and she's like the narrator throughout the rest of it. And I'm like, I liked the David Attenborough impersonator. <laughs> It is good. It is educational. It does what a documentary is supposed to do, which is engage the viewer. It's just, I already know all this shit. So I'm I'm like, I'm three episodes in and I'm like, wow, you've become background noise because I already know all this stuff. So if you don't know a fuck ton about weird shit, Absurd Planet on Netflix. That's literally all I have to say about it is if you don't know a fuck ton about weird shit, it might be worth a watch. Uh, however, for me, it was three episodes and I'm done. Sadly. And now moving on to the final thing that I want to talk about. Which is something that I have talked about before. So I'm using it as an avenue to talk about something that I like just a little bit less than I feel like I should. Using Netflix Party, I bullied my friends into watching The Bye Bye Man. <laughs> I, I, I say bullied. I didn't bully. Uh, we use, we use, we have a text messaging, uh, messaging app we use that has a poll feature. So I put up a poll and I said, I want to watch a horror movie voted horror. And by the power of suggestion, I convinced everyone else to vote for a horror movie. Fucking my mans. So then I said, if no one else has a suggestion, I'm going to put up the bye bye man as the option. No one said anything. <laughs> So the day of our Netflix party comes and the Bye Bye Man gets watched. And it is, the Netflix party app is not as fun as I thought it would be. I had assumed that it would be some microphone thing that excluded the audio of the movie automatically so we could talk at each other. <laughs> no. Dumbass. No, it's a cheap little chat chat thing. So it's like, all right, why don't we just all like agree to queue up the movie at the same time and just text about it? Yeah, it's it's essentially, about the same. Like the Netflix, the Netflix party app is essentially just the way we do let's watches, but less interactive. Yeah, so I wasn't. I'm not happy with Netflix party. Um, half the time I couldn't tell who was messaging. Um, if you don't disable everybody having at control over the thing, some idiot's going to pause it 17 times. And so wait a minute, like you, there is no voice chat at all. Nope. It's all typing. Then what the fuck is the point of it? I know. Who th- it's so that one person can control the movie, can pause and play the movie at, at their whim. That's um, stupid. Yeah, it is. Like, but fuck, even like even when we do like, it's not that hard, people. No, it's not. We have never shared. Like, I'm thinking that we might do screen share for, and then there were none. Um, uh, I, I don't worry about it. Okay. Um, I have my dark doings. Okay. Um, <laughs> and then like honestly, it was just so that I would, I, could, I was actually doing saying that so I could be lazy, so you could be in control of everything. <laughs> well, screen share also introduces like up to twenty seconds of delay. Yeah, that sucks. Um, yeah, like, like, like to anybody out there who wants to do like, wants to be like, hey, let everybody watch the same movie. Just be forewarned. If you are going to be doing any kind of screen sharing, anything, there will be delay. 
Which is fair. Yeah. However, if you get a bunch of people on like Discord or whatever, and then you do like a five, four, three, two, one, go, then yeah, each of you will have your own independent movie you have to keep fucking track of. But guess the fuck what? It will be relatively in sync. Just look at so, any of the commentary tracks we've ever released. Yeah. Except for that one time where I fucked it up. <laughs> I was like 20 seconds out of sync. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I got to bring it up every time, but remember that time you're watching that movie? I can't, I mean, Mike came back for 20 minutes. I was talking and you didn't know I was back because I was still muted. Yeah. <laughs> but that's something everybody does. Yeah. We still released the track. Uh, um, but so yeah, um, Netflix party has flaws, period. Yes. It's a good, it's an option. I wish Netflix would release something that was like built into the system and allowed for voice chat, but well, I'll I don't, deal I don't, with. I don't think Netflix will be ever like, adding, adding something that is like, you know, inbuilt for this, I think. Oh, whatever. So on to the bye bye, man. It's worse on second watch. Oh, hell yeah, dude. I thought it would be better because I'd have alcohol. It's worse on for, it's worse on second watch. <laughs> the boring bits feel more boring because I know they're boring ahead of time. I'm not waiting for something to happen. I'm just sitting there like, Nothing's gonna happen for the he's going to do paperwork seconds. for 40 minutes. Hey, look at this man. He's going to print out a newspaper article and scratch out the bye-bye, man. Meanwhile, I'm telling I'm I'm telling my friends, no, 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 this is the boring part. It's, it gets better. It gets weird. It gets stupid. Um, and like, oh my god, I have never um, seen the Bye Bye Man, and I'm more familiar with it than I am with some members of my family. Yeah, Bye Bye Man sucks. The Bye Bye <laughs> Man is trash. Um, and I've never used Netflix Party again, <laughs> as you shouldn't. Um, my friends were trying to arrange a second one and then they kind of got massively off topic and I was like, yeah, being like the, like not elected, but still always doing it leader. I could steer you guys back to where you should be, but nah, <laughs> I don't really want to use Netflix party again. Cause it sucked. I now feel less uh, offended being left out. Yeah. Well. It was my regular hangout group, the group I play D&D with and shit. Bruh. In person. My in-person group. Because <laughs> I'm like, wait, I play D&D with you. My in-person group. My in-person D&D group. There we go. Um, but yeah. So, this group that's more the Bye Bye Man. This? I figured that I would be able to talk more about it, but that's really all I got to talk about. <laughs> Alrighty then. Uh, so... News-wise, I have not been keeping up because, uh, because shockingly enough, I don't like looking at news. No, you're, you're, you're saying that it might be depressing. Yeah, like the director of, like, like fucking Mateo de, Cos Mateo de Cosmos, he fucking died of coronavirus. Just, I was just scrolling through news, like, hey, let's see what, let's see what fucking stuff we got. Let's see what happened. And then, oh, look at that, Mateo de Cosmo, art director for Emergence, Punisher, and Luke Cage, dies of coronavirus at 52. Thanks, the Deadline. Feels, bro, the feels. So here's some other stuff. Uh, so, Neil H. Moritz and, Scholastics and Scholastic Entertainment are developing a new live-action Goosebumps television series. Okay. 
Yeah. The reason I'm not like, oh, yay, is because... The movie? Yeah. The movie was fun. The movie was enjoyable. Uh... <laughs> yeah, I'm... I'm hoping that they return to the... Uh, Old style? Yeah, the uh, anthology style. Because that was good. The anthology style was really good and really fun. Yeah, and and um, like and like even if they just end up making like all the old books again, like television and like the like the technology to make television has advanced to such a degree that even a cheap TV show can look pretty good. Like cheap TV now is like mid to is like mid to high tier TV back when Goosebumps was a TV show. Oh yeah, no cheap like. If they re- tried to redo Animorphs, we might actually get something convincing. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah, fuck, what if they redo Animorphs? That'd be fucking awesome. I never actually finished reading the Animorph books. I just read a lot of the, I just read a lot about Animorphs on the Wikipedia page, and that shit gets dork. Yeah, it does. It's really awesome. Does, doesn't, like, the one chick who, like, regularly turns into a bear become, like, a war junkie? Yeah. Yeah. And she's still, like, 15? <laughs> uh, but yeah, so uh, Scholastic Entertainment is teaming with Neil H. Moritz, who was the producer in the Goosebumps films. At one point, like, one kid tries to kill them all because he's decided to betray them. Noice! <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, like, Animorphs gets fucking dark, and I want that version of the story. Hell yeah, dude. You've got an adult audience, people. Make an adult story. Hell, man, his fuck his Dark Materials is a fucking children's book that got an HBO series. Yeah, but his Let's... Dark Materials kind of. Never mind. I'm not going to talk about it. Yeah. What, what I'm saying is, let's get a fucking HBO made Animorph series, motherfucker. That would be fucking awesome. Let's go. I can. I'll. I will I will throw fucking rocks at someone's penthouse apartment until they fucking look at me and say, and they go, what the fuck are you doing? And I'll go, make Animorphs, and I run away. Just just like duck, just like get get like a get like a fucking brick and tie the first book to it and hook it into their car window. Just like, says, make this, please. I love your network. <laughs> Why'd you break my window then? I I was excited to know what to do. It was the only way I could communicate my feelings. <laughs> Do you ever see you ever see uh, the Carlton from the Fresh Prince talk about that one time he met a fan? No, I haven't. Yeah, you know, the dude was up on stage. He was talking about it, he met a fan, and this fan just and this fan just kind of came up and just fucking socked him in the face. <laughs> and the dude was like, what "Fuck you, that for?" It's like, I'm sorry, I didn't know what else to do. I was such a big fan. <gasps> oh, that's wonderful. That just, is, that there is are exactly. Oh, that's how I want to greet my fan. Be greeted by any fans that we get. Just the, oh, the I kind. W- I want them to one of them to punch me in the face. I. It would honestly be kind of a, kind of a really really like heartfelt gesture to be the kind to, to to like elicit the kind of emotional response in a person that they don't know how to handle it. Yeah, oh, I would love that. We will never uh, do that. I feel. I feel like the. I feel like the most emotional response we get is like, is like, hey, didn't you guys do that one fucking stupid thing? Like, yeah, I like that. It's probably, only it's probably one. Come on, we've got a lot of stupid things. 
Yes, but how many people will see all of them? Yeah, but they probably saw two. I mean, there was that time. I'm, I'm not going to go on to it. Oh, yeah, so yeah it's going to be a new Goosebumps show. Uh, no real details about it um, at this point. Uh, being made by the guy who produced the Goosebumps movies, so I guess we'll see. Let's get ready for more Jack Black. I feel like maybe having Jack Black in like a Crypt Keeper role. Oh, that would be awesome. Like he comes out he's like, you know, it's about time I shared these tales with the world so you'd be more, better forearmed. Pulls, yeah, just, a bo- pulls one of his notebooks from off the shelf. Yeah, exactly. Have you ever heard about, oh God, what was one of them? The Night of the Living Dummy. Say cheese. Now that would be one to start with. Say cheese and die. Monster Monster blood. slime. No, let's, let's start out with Monster Blood Part 4. Oh yeah, Monster Blood. That's what it was called. What was the one with the werewolf? Because that was the one that was always stuck with me. Uh, the one where kids like aunt and uncle are werewolves. He steals their skins and buries them. Oof. Was it the werewolf of Fever Swamp? I'm trying to remember. I have a, I have a list of all original Goosebumps books up in front of me right now. Let me just... Haunted Mask. Oh, The Haunted Mask. No, The Haunted Mask is a classic. Uh, oh, was it Werewolf Skin? It might be Werewolf Skin. The Werewolf Fever Swamp is Yeah, it's else. Werewolf Skin. It's Werewolf Skin. That's yeah. the one. Yeah. One Day at Horrorland. A Night in Terror Tower. Werewolf Skin was the first Goosebumps book I ever read, and it has stuck yeah. with me. I, once upon a time, I owned every Goosebumps book. I am envious of you. I sold Even them if at a, it was only once upon a time. I sold them at a garage sale for $7. You fool. I know, right? I fucking, I want, I want them back. What a waste of a man. Actually, how much does the entire original run of Goosebumps cost on Amazon? I love now we're into books. <laughs> of course we are, dude. Uh, Goosebumps Retro Scream Collection. Oh, it only includes fucking... It only includes fucking five books? What the, what the bullshit is that? It was only 68 books. It can't be that hard to collect them all. <laughs> and what the fuck is this collection? So it's Welcome to Dead House, Say Cheese and Die, Night Living Dummy, Haunted Mask, and One Day at Horrorland. So the classics. I forgot Welcome to Dead House was a book. Mm. And then there's the 25th anniversary retro set, which includes Monster Blood, Why I'm Afraid of Bees, A Night in Terror Tower, The Beast from the East, and Legend of the Lost Legend. Oh, I've got one up here, the classic Boosbump series 20 books collection set by R.L. Stein, which contains... Uh, stay out of the basement, the ghost next door, revenge of the lawn gnomes, the haunted car, let's get invisible, the scarecrow walks at night. Ooh, that's a good one. Yeah. Curse of the mummy's tomb, the blood that ate everyone, the night of living dummy, the werewolf of fever swamp, one day at horrorland, return of the mummy, the haunted mask, vampire death, the abominable snowman of Pasadena, a shocker on chalk street, please don't feed the vampire and attack of the graveyard ghouls. Pretty sure that wasn't 20 books I just listed. Probably not, but anyway. That's enough about that horror. Let's move on to a different horror. Uh, so Disney is making a live action Hercules movie. 
This time coming to us from the writer of the Expendables franchise and Shang-Chi and Legend of the Ten Rings. Nope. Said to be produced by the Russo brothers. Nope. Who's ready for a live action Danny DeVito with goat legs? Okay, that I am ready for. It'll never happen. I know. But I fucking want it. (laughs) (laughs) You want it now. Give me that furry Danny DeVito ass, you cowards. (laughs) Oh, God. (laughs) (laughs) Like, he, he, Danny DeVito would be 100% down for that, right? Like, I can't imagine him saying no. Unless it conflicted with, like, it's always sunny filming. Oh, yeah. Danny DeVito. I- I'm pretty sure Danny DeVito was down to be the voice of Detective Pikachu. Uh, yeah, probably. Danny DeVito just likes working. Danny DeVito is a fun dude. A little gross, but fun. Yeah. And also, apparently, just, like, the fucking nicest man alive. <laughs> Like, uh, did you, uh... He is the nicest man alive. No, like, did you hear, like, what he did for, like, the girl in Matilda? No, I did not. Yeah, so, uh, in Matilda, uh, let's see, what the fuck, Mara Wilson, uh, her mom got, like, diagnosed with cancer, like, during oh, filming. Oh, dear. Oh, dear. So, Danny DeVito and Rhea Perlman, uh, they both, like, essentially let Mara live with them for the entirety of filming and then also got the mom to see, got, got like, an early cut of the film for the mom to see before she passed. But that's beautiful. Yeah, Danny DeVito, fucking saint of a human. Yeah, really good guy. Just he looks like a fucking goblin. The trash man. Anyway, and then finally, uh, we got a trailer for Lovecraft Country. A new TV series based on a book by the same name that explores the connection between uh, H.P. Lovecraft and racism in the Jim Crow era United States. Oh, God damn it. Yeah, uh, I. Yes, I saw this. I I saw this like like put like coming through my fucking feed Uh, produced. It's being produced by um, Jordan Peele and J.J. Abrams. It's hard to process that uh, Jordan Peele from Key and Peele. I know, right? The dude from the doing... dude from Mad TV is now like a fucking high rolling producer. Yeah, like he isn't doing comedy anymore. I'm just like, oh yeah, he got some serious shit in his bones. But yeah, so it is just about like, hey, the South when racism was happening for realsies, and then Eldritch Horrors from Beyond the Stars. Which, like, so I, so when I saw the trailer and, like, saw this pop up, I didn't actually know that there was a book called Lovecraft Country. I thought it was just, like, hey, we're taking the works of H.P. Lovecraft and then working it into the story. And so I saw everyone was black and I was like, oh, wait a minute. So, I, like, they are, like, they doing a thing where, like, Lovecraft was, like, Lovecraft was notoriously racist. Yeah. So I thought they were, like, doing this original thing of, like, taking the Lovecraft, like, nightmares and making them like living allegories for the racism of the South. I was like, oh, that's a neat idea. Oh, wait, it's based on a book. Oh, this shows us a fucking ripoff then. <laughs> oh, also, it's based off of a book. Fuck that noise. Yeah, I'll treat the book. Also, I don't know if this is. I don't know what to make of this. So in the book, the main character's name is Atticus Turner. In the show, his name's Atticus Black. 
maybe to make it more overt? You can't really be more overt than being a black man. True. <laughs> can't really say anything about that. Like, if a black man walked up and said, hi, my name's, hey, my name's fucking, like, Jeffrey Black, you're not going to think, oh, he is black. I might. Right? Like, am I the asshole here? No, you're not the asshole. <laughs> anyway, uh, new releases. Why is it's fucking nothing? Everything's on fire. I don't know. When I I am, I'm kind of interested to see what happens after all this, in terms of like movie stuff and or like entertainment at least. I'm really hoping like there's a massive just push to kind of normalize things. You know what I mean? Just I, like yeah, I hope people have realized that theaters are trash. I hope that the theater industry continues to survive because I love going to the theater. Hmm. Anyway, that's it for this week. Thank you for joining us. We'll be back at some point with more of this. Until then, fucking stay inside, wash your hands. I'm dead. And I'm Caveman. We'll see you guys next time. Goodbye, try to survive. <laughs> <laughs>